All right, so um, today is part two of a three-part series titled God's Point of View. We began this series last week by looking at how God sees us. How does God view us? You know, many people, many of us in this room, struggle with how they see themselves. But once we gain an understanding of how God sees us, we gain a better perspective as to how valuable we are to God. God saw us on his mind before the world began, the Bible says. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at how God sees other people. We're going to get a little little more challenging as we go. See, if you remember last week, we looked at how the moment we put our trust, the moment we put our faith in Jesus, God now sees us as right in his eyes. We are acceptable to him. We are perfect, perfect in his eyes. We are valued. We are forgiven. You know, the moment that you, that you feel the sins that you have been carrying around with you, lifted, you know what true forgiveness feels like. And when we truly believe this, like, like buy into this, like I truly get this, we're all in a different place in life. And so some of us, we get it quicker than others. And some of us, we have a lot more stuff, like these layers of life that need to be peeled back or, or taken out of this backpack that we carry around with us. When we truly and finally and really understand this and do not allow our past experiences to define how we see ourselves, we will then see ourselves as God sees us and our self-worth, our self-esteem begins to build. Because we can recognize that it is, it is past experiences and lies of the devil and things like that that get into our heads that keep us in an area of where we constantly see our flaws. And then, not only do we see ourselves differently, but we look at life through the lens that God looks through. Everything changes. And we begin to see people differently as well. Maybe we have a little more empathy. Maybe we have a little more compassion. Maybe we have a little more forgiveness. Maybe we're still working on all those things with others. But we begin to see people through the lens that God sees them through. We begin to see them with a little more love than maybe we we once had. You know, and one day, Jesus was asked by this man, what is the greatest commandment? What is it that I really need to pay attention to? And Jesus said this in Matthew 22. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire Bible... This book, from page one to the last page, can be summed up in those two sentences. Love God with everything you've got, all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor. Love those around you 
just as much as you love yourself. And I kind of struggle with that sometimes because sometimes we don't really love ourselves, right? But isn't it true that we always make sure we look good before we leave the house? So you do care for yourself, right? You care about your appearance. You, you do. So love others the same way you would love yourself. See, God, God wants to, to love him. You know, we often use this phrase, I found Jesus. But really, he chased us down. And we listened to his voice. And we began that relationship with him. And then God wants us to love everyone else as much as we do ourselves. And let's face it, that can be a struggle. To love others the same way we love ourselves or to love others the same way we love God, it can be a struggle because sometimes we cherry pick, right? I don't have to like them, but I have to love them. But let's take a look at what this kind of love looks like. And we're going to look at us, uh, we're going to stay in Luke chapter 13, but I have some other passages that we'll kind of throw in here for the day. But in Luke chapter 13, we're going to read the first half of this story, and then we'll read the second half. But Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, He saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Which, by the way, I really sensed this morning that there's going to be a move of God today. If you're in need of a healing, when we have ministry time later on today, We're going to press into that. So, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her. And instantly she could stand up straight. How she praised God. So there is more to this story than just a miraculous healing with someone. See, this is a great example of how Jesus paid attention to what was going on around him. This story reminds me of another time when Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, began harassing him because he was working on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath is a day of rest that we are to use to focus on God. And in the Jewish faith, it's on a Saturday. In our faith, it's usually on a Sunday. For me, it's tomorrow, because I'm working right now. Tomorrow is my Sabbath. Tomorrow is the day that I will spend time with God, and I'll I'll do some hobbies and stuff, and this and that and the other. But it's a day that I can just kind of let my mind relax and rest. And God set the example for this during creation. Six days, he created everything, and on the seventh day, he rested. You know, we're supposed to have a six-day work week. Six days we work, we rest one day. But if we do it with the right intentions, spending time with God, spending time with our family, 
focusing on what we're supposed to be focusing on, we will get that rest, that spiritual rest that we're supposed to get. And so the Jewish religious leaders, their Sabbath is on a Saturday. But they had created all these rules and regulations and things that they wanted everybody to adhere to. And so in this particular story, in John chapter 5, now John chapter 5, I didn't get a chance to look, look into this, so I don't know where these two are at chronologically. But I'm going to assume that John chapter 5 took place before Luke chapter 13. I could be wrong. But in John chapter 5, Jesus makes a bold statement that had the religious leaders wanting to kill him even more. See, he was their long-awaited Messiah, but they missed, they missed it. Now, I'm going to have a whole passage up here on the screen, but I'm only going to read a couple of verses from John chapter 5. They start questioning him because he healed somebody on the Sabbath, and here's what he says to them. My father is always working, and so am I. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does, for the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. Jesus just told the religious leaders right here that he is the son of God. And they, they wigged out. How could he dare be making these claims? I mean, they, they, they didn't even care that somebody got miraculously healed. They were so focused on, on the way they thought God would be doing things. God would never move the way Jesus is moving. There's absolutely no way. And we're going to kind of dig into this a little bit here. He claims to be the Son of God. And I love this passage because, because as a Christian and even as a pastor, we should model our lives after this. I only do what I see the Father doing. That's what Jesus was doing when he was preaching that day. He was paying attention. He only did what he saw the Father doing. So, so in this moment, back to Luke chapter 13, in this moment, I picture Jesus teaching. He's teaching in the synagogues, which he often did. He was invited into the synagogues to teach. And maybe he sees her walk in. I don't know. Maybe she got there before everybody. Remember, the, it says that she had been like this for 18 years. Now, the New King James says she had a spirit of infirmity. The New Living Translation, which I'm reading of, says that she was bent over double. So, I did what any person would do. I Googled it. What does that mean? It means this. She was like this. She came in like this. Like, this is how she walked. This was her life. This was her viewpoint for everybody. She didn't look anybody in the eye. She walked into the, to the thing like this and sat down. So either she got there before everybody because, you know, she doesn't get around that often. Maybe she has somebody helping her out. I don't know. We don't know. All we know is this. There's a severely crippled lady who has been dealing with this for 18 years. We don't even know how old she is. She could be 20 years old. She could be 50, 60, 70. But 18 years like that is a long time. Here's Jesus teaching, right? And maybe, maybe he keeps coming back to her because the father, he's, he's for some reason, she's being highlighted to him and he, he keeps coming, coming back to this lady. I'm trying to find somebody to pick on. I'll just do Kim. He keeps coming back to her, right? Listen, because, because he's moving in the gifts of the spirit and maybe he's teaching, but he keeps coming back 
And he hears the father say, heal her. Deliver her of her torment. And so he's like, I mean, like right now? Somewhere in this moment, Jesus hears the voice of God's Holy Spirit, and he was moved with compassion for her. Maybe she was so intently listening to him as well. These are, these are the kind of things, when a story like this, like I just, I kind of, I, I, I'll put myself in that scene and I, I just wonder exactly what everything was like. Because one of the greatest character traits of Jesus is that he had compassion on people. Matthew 9, 36 When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. See, when we're going through life and we don't have our faith in Jesus, Jesus has compassion on those people, on you, before you put your faith. Maybe you're here, you don't have faith in him. He has compassion because he understands that they're going through life on their own. They don't have a savior, number one, forgiving them, freeing them of all this baggage. That's the greatest character trait that anybody could have. And I don't think anybody this side of heaven has the compassion that Jesus had. I just... Man, he had compassion on this lady. You know, nothing will change a person's life more than experiencing the love and the compassion of God when they have been overlooked by society. Amen. Amen. And I believe this lady had been overlooked. Imagine her. I mean, like, imagine the people walking around her, you know, and... There are people all around us who appear to be doing well on the outside but are dying on the inside. And it takes, here, emotionally, spiritually, people are desperate for others to pay attention to them. You know, in America, we're heading into like the, the greatest of happiest of holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, but there are people who, who are just, they're just, they're dying inside. Longing to be loved. And it takes an intentional effort to slow down and pay attention to what is going on around us. Because we will miss what the Father is doing when we rush through life. When you're constantly late for something and you're scattering and you're picking things up and you just can't get your stuff together and your brain is just going 100 miles an hour, you're you're never going to see what God's doing around you. You, you, You're just not because you're not, you can't pay attention. You know, something that, that, I don't know, I'd say it was a, just a Holy Spirit thing that's just kind of ingrained in me is, is I'll never make quick judgment calls. And there's no reason to, because you know what? When God's involved, the decision will be made when the decision is made. 
And when it's thought out and prayed about, I'm comfortable in that. Because when we take our time and when we involve God in the things that we're doing, we'll hear him more than if we're rushing, making rash decisions, always scatterbrained, can't find this, can't find that, can't find my keys, late for work, late for this, late for that. Am I hitting too close to home? For some. <laughs> Listen, I used to be like that. And I just, I, you know, you slow down. See, when we read the Gospels, Jesus was never in a hurry. Matter of fact, his good friend had died, Lazarus, and Jesus took three days to get there. Because he, I believe he was listening to the Father. I only do what I see the Father doing. Now, don't ever, nobody here, use that as an excuse to be late for work tomorrow. Okay? We have responsibilities. But Jesus was never in a hurry to get to his next destination. And people were constantly trying to get his attention. They were yelling out, two blind men, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. You know, a, a guy, a, a ruler, a guy, his daughter had died. Jesus is traveling somewhere. He said, come, come, my daughter's, you know, Jesus raises her from the dead. And people were all over trying to get to Jesus. And you know what Jesus did? You know what he did? He gave his time to every single person who asked for it. Because he was moved with compassion for them. And in doing so, he saw people the way God sees them. He saw people through the eyes of the Father. Think about it, okay? So back to the story. Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden he stops. He looks at this lady, and he says, Ma'am, could you come here for a minute? And she's like, yeah, you. Okay, so humor me for a minute. How awkward, right? Maybe even embarrassing. Like she doesn't know what he's calling her for. Maybe she's going to get in trouble. She had been dealing with this for 18 years. Maybe has always been kind of hidden in the crowd. And all of a sudden, a teacher in the synagogue says, come here. Does she even know what's about to happen? Now here's the point, okay? To demonstrate the radical love of Jesus means that we must be willing to take risks. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was not proper protocol to call somebody forward in the synagogue. And far too often, I mean, I'm guilty as, this, as anybody, it is in our tendency to play it safe. But I don't think that's how God wants us to live. How can we demonstrate the radical love of Jesus when we're always playing it safe? We're going to miss out. 
Because when you get that thought, I should pray for this person, I should talk to this person, you are hearing from the Father. I remember, I remember, uh, and I'm not, not saying this to brag or anything, but I was in the grocery store, and clearly, I can't be the only one that gets a little irritated when, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, just figure it out, what can you pay for? And, it, and, and, and the guy was like, he's like, put that back, put that back, put that back, and I'll take this, and it was a long time, and you know what, for some reason, I said, I'm just gonna patiently wait. And then all of a sudden, I heard this voice that said, pay for the rest of his groceries. And so I did. He said, no, no, no. I said, yeah, really, I got it. And I had a, so a Vineyard Portel, which is the church in Brazil we support. I had a Vineyard Portel shirt on. And he looks and goes, Vineyard Portal? And I said, Portel. It's a a church in, you know, we're not, I'm not, you know, like, it's a church in Brazil. I, I, you know, and he goes, he goes, a vineyard? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I go to the Vineyard Columbus. And I said, oh, really? I go to one out here in Reynoldsburg. We're part of the same tribe. But here was a fellow believer who was struggling, and I don't know what was going on in his life, but I believe that I responded to the voice of God. And normally I would have just kind of been like, eh. And so I have no idea what this guy said when he left. Maybe he went home to his family or whatever, but you know, there was a blessing that happened today. And I believe I got blessed, he got blessed, the kingdom of God moved, and we were part of the same tribe. See, God wants us to get out there. God wants us to put ourselves out there, paying attention intentionally demonstrating the love of Jesus in a world that is full of people who are hurting, broken, spiritually wounded, looking like they're making it on the outside, but crushed on the inside. Even, here, here, here's, here's another one. Jesus loves people, right? Who did he hang out with? The addicts, the alcoholics, the prostitutes, prisoners, the oppressed, the downtrodden, the abused, and the worst of the worst, the tax collectors. Some things don't change. I'm sorry if you work for the IRS, I love you. (laughs) But here's the thing. This is why the religious leaders, the Jewish Pharisees, missed out on their Messiah, because they in no way, shape, or form thought that anybody of a religious stature would be hanging out with those people and and look at him, and they deemed him as being such a sinner as them. And what was he doing? He was forgiving people. He was healing people. You know, he would heal people, and I think the religious leaders were kind of like, but then when he forgave them of their sins, boy, they really flipped out over that. And then claiming to be the son of God, oh, they hated him for that. How dare he? He is a sinful man, driving out demons by the power of a demon, they say. But see, this kind of radical living will sometimes cause our reputation, people will think differently of us. You shouldn't be doing that here in the workplace. You shouldn't be bringing the Bible into the schools, Pastor Dave. 
it, it, it causes our reputation, people will look at us differently. But do you, you want to know something? Here's something that, that, that and, and, I, and I'm, I'm thankful for this, just for me. I came to the conclusion years ago that I don't have to defend my actions when they are kingdom intentions. I'm not going to defend my actions. Because if I believe that I'm doing what God wants me to do, guess who's going to defend me? I'm not worried about it. And you know what? It frees a lot of head games from going on. It really does. It's very important to understand that every single person we come in contact with is created in the image of God. No matter how down and out they are, we will never shake hands, hug, greet, talk to, meet a person that Jesus did not die for. And so, back to our story. In this story, Jesus sees a hurting lady. He takes notice. He hears the voice of the Father. He calls her forward while teaching in the synagogue. He took a risk. I'm pretty sure he had, a, he had a, a, an idea of what the outcome was going to be. But then, he did the unthinkable. He reached out, he laid hands on her, he spoke to her, and he healed her from the physical torment that she had been dealing with for 18 years. This kind of love echoes what the Apostle Paul teaches on in Ephesians chapter 4. There's two verses. I have them up on the screen. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. These are the character traits we must carry with us that will help us see people the way God sees them. Kindness, humility, allowing others to make mistakes, and most importantly, unconditional forgiveness. These are the character traits that will give us the words to say that will breathe life into another person's spirit. Because when you start walking these kind of character traits out, you don't see a person on the outside. You see who God sees on the inside. Not only did Jesus speak life and words of healing to this lady, he touched her. When do you think the last time was that she had a loving touch from somebody? other than, can I help you up, ma'am? See, we were designed for human interaction. We crave it. And for Jesus to touch her, I can only imagine the love that she felt. He touched her. Maybe he gave her a big hug, I don't know. And then she was healed 
And everyone in the synagogue fell at Jesus' feet and praised him as the son of God, the living Messiah that they had long been awaited for, and the story has a happy ending. Mm, not really. Let's read a little more. Let's pick it up in verse 14. I'll read verse 13 first. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand up straight how she praised God. But the teacher in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? I wish I could be as quick as him, man. But, but why do you think, this is kind of funny, the first thing he thought of was a donkey. Just putting it out there. This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. This was more than just a sickness, church. This was spiritual. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. Now, something else to really kind of pay attention to in here is he called her a daughter of Abraham. We don't know her name. There's another story about a woman with an issue of blood that he calls her a daughter. See, Jesus just put a very high stature of a title on this lady in front of the religious leaders because their father, being Jewish, was Abraham, the father of faith. And she just called this lady a daughter of Abraham after calling them hypocrites. He just, he just, he called her the best. Can you imagine 18 years being bound by a demon, being set free from that, and a person who is supposed to be your religious leader, mentor, says, how dare you do that today? Come back tomorrow. Imagine being so focused on human rituals and religious activities that you lost sight of the importance of people. Imagine being so self-righteous that you got upset by a miraculous move of God. But here's the deal. Jesus never let his critics keep him from loving people other than the way the Father expected him to. Jesus always did. He took risks. He was radical. He was different. He, he turned everything upside down. Because really, quite frankly, God had had enough. 
You know, the sooner we come to the conclusion that God is God and he will do what he wants to do, the better off we will all be. <laughs> but he loves people so much. There are so many people around us that are tormented and bound and hurting. And if we don't slow down and pay attention to them as we are expected to by the Father, we will miss out on what he wants to do through us for them. Jesus has compassion on all people and the Father expects the same from us. Especially those who are like sheep without a shepherd. Why would I share the gospel with them? They, they're not even a believer. They don't even know. You know what? You have no idea what they're thinking about when they go home at night. You have no idea how much God is trying to reel them into his kingdom. You're right. They may be the meanest person you come in contact with, but tomorrow they might give their lives to Jesus, and God wanted you to plant a seed in their hearts. I would encourage all of us in this room to get out of our comfort zones and ask God to help us see people the way he sees them. And you know what? There's no better time than now. Amen. The holidays. People are grumpy. People are out. You're going to bump into them. And you could change a life by planting a seed of love, compassion, Jesus, kingdom in their lives. We'll close it out with this. 1 John chapter 3. Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. There are people all around us who are hurting, who are broken inside, who are wounded. And as followers of Jesus, God is calling us to take risks by showing others they are loved, they are valued, they are accepted into the kingdom of God. They have a Father in heaven who loves them more than any earthly parent can. And we have the opportunity to usher that into their lives. Take a chance. I, I challenge you, church, from here until the New Year's at least, take a chance and pray for somebody you would not normally pray for. Because you never know. Just like the story with Jesus and this crippled lady, one act of love can change a life forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I, I thank you I don't think I would have the guts to do half the stuff you did. I know I don't. Maybe I would have waited till after the service and talked to that lady. But not you, man. You, Jesus, you, you took a chance. You took a risk because you heard the Father's voice. And I want to challenge us. Challenge all of us in this room and when those watching online. Take risks. Take risks risks for the kingdom you know I would rather when I meet Jesus face to face saying him boy you gave it your best yeah you embarrassed yourself but you tried you did good son 
then hear him say, why didn't you? I was speaking to you. You didn't respond. Let's be willing to embarrass ourselves for the gospel. Our king, Jesus, took risks. He put his reputation on the line so that the kingdom of God could come crashing into the lives of those who so desperately needed it. And I'm telling you, church, as our Savior, if he can do it, we can do it. Yes. I'm going to pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.